if you have a Bible that you brought with you or uh, a Bible app you like to use, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 9 through 17. Starting in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the, he, the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Father God, we thank you for time in your word that is true yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that we can count on you to guide us and deliver us no matter what we have going on. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use Sean today as a mouthpiece to deliver a message that speaks and resonates to so many of us in here, to all of us in here. That we would have a further understanding and a deeper understanding of, of your love for us. We thank you for that love. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. signifier of the unity in the body of Christ is that we are able to set aside our differences uh, to come together to worship. And, and I just want to let you know, like, if you were able to engage in worship this morning with this guy helping be a part of leading us, that shows the maturity of Christ in you. Yes, give yourselves a hand. Absolutely. Give yourselves a hand for that. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Get out of here. Go. All right. In the name of Jesus, I'll do it. All right. Uh, so our family, man, we love America's Got Talent. Uh, we, we enjoy turning that on and, and just watching how incredibly gifted some people are and how incredibly gifted some people think that they are. And, and last year, if you tuned in, you probably remember there was this guy from the Philippines and he came out and so they were talking to him and, and asking him, you know, the basic introduction questions. And, and then they asked him, okay, what are you here to do? And he said, I'm going to do shadow puppets. And they cut to Simon Cowell, who like rolled his eyes, like almost as if to say, let's just get this over with. And I, I thought, oh, 
this poor dude, like he's about ready to get booed off the stage. And, and then he went into his, his act and it was so incredible but, that by the time it was over, all four judges were giving him a standing ovation. He ended up placing third overall last season. It's amazing what people can do with shadows, the stories that, that they can tell. And so that kind of got me thinking this week, what are some other things that people have done with, with shadows? And, and there was a, a, a group that performed, not in America's Got Talent, but in Britain's Got Talent, a couple of years ago. And they told an amazing story of love using only their shadows. Let, let's check out this video. Incredible talent. I mean, these are, these are students. They're, they're kids doing this. And they told a, a beautiful story about the power of love and, and kindness and its ability to, to overcome hate. It's, it's amazing what you can do with shadows. And, and I think that in a way, the Apostle Paul is, is pointing to, to like something similar to what we saw there to, to tell how shadows can tell a powerful story of love. Look at our text again today. Colossians chapter 2, and I want to go all the way down to, to where Abby left off, verse 17. And Paul says, these, and we're going to get to what that is, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All of the shadows that we're going to look at today, that we're going to talk about today, the main thing that we need to know is that the substance of that shadow is Jesus. And, and, and Paul, again, he, he taps into this, this word image that I think is just is beautiful. A shadow is the shape of something. But a shadow doesn't have the substance of that thing. Like, like my, if my wife walked up behind me and, and, and we had like the sun behind our back and Amber came up to my side, I might be able to tell that it was her based on her shadow. Like I just, I know her that well. I could tell from her shadow that it was my wife, but but her shadow doesn't tell the whole story about her. I, I couldn't look at her shadow and see the funny way that her eyes change colors based on the light around her. I, I couldn't look at her shadow and, and see the depth of her character and, and resolve. I, I couldn't look at her shadow and, and see that, that she loves Taste of India. Like shadows aren't bad, they're just lacking. They point to the real thing. They just lack the substance of it. And at this church in Colossae, there were these false teachers that were lifting up the shadows that, that the Old Testament cast on Jesus and for Jesus and from Jesus. They were lifting up those shadows as if they were the substance that has already been fulfilled in Christ they were elevating these practices that were, that were shadows meant to point us to the substance of Jesus. And in doing so, they were actually minimizing who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so Paul's basically asking, are you going to settle for the shadow or are you going to hold on to the real thing? Are you going to keep grasping for air or are you going to grab on to the substance of Jesus? And in our text today, Paul mentions three Old Testament practices that, that were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is the substance that these shadows represent. And, and the first one that he points to is circumcision. And 
Like there was a lot of circumcision in that passage that Abby read for us today. And, and so this is the point in the series that it gets a little awkward, right? Like, but, but I have this sign in my, in my office that somebody gave me one time uh, that says awkward is my specialty. And so we're just going to lean into the awkward together. Paul has just got done saying in verses 9 and 10 how the fullness of deity, the fullness of God lives in Christ and that, and that Christ lives in us. And because of that, like we have everything that we need. The fullness of God now dwells in us. It is complete inside of us when we put our faith in Jesus. And, and then he goes to, to this in verse 11. He says, in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And so why does Paul talk about all of this circumcision language here? Well, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant. Don't miss that. It was a sign of God's covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, God comes to Abraham. He's 99 years old. And he reminds him of this covenant that he made with him all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then he says, and you, Abraham, you and your people, you will be a blessing to the entire world. And Abraham's like, awesome, sign me up. That sounds great. And he's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so God comes back and he reminds him of this covenant that he made with him. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, he says, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you and the covenant that you are to keep all of these great nations and multiple descendants. And, and he said, he said, and every male among you shall be circumcised. And at this, Abraham was probably like, okay, can we just go back to all of like the good stuff, like the, the many descendants and blessings and all of that. And, and so but God says, no, every male among you will be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign. Hang on to that. We're going we're gonna to see that language a couple of times today. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so notice that circumcision wasn't the covenant. It was a sign that pointed to the covenant that they were in with God. It was a sign of the relationship that, that, that God had established between himself and his people and that they had been separated. I mean, it's a, it's a like, physical and, and, and visual representation of what God had done, separated them, set them apart and so circumcision was a sign of this relationship with God, but it's not what brought them into that relationship. It was a sign that they were in it, that God had appointed this. And so it was a shadow of the substance, the real thing. Skip ahead, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. We're going to kind of get into some Old Testament stuff here today because I don't think that we can understand our text apart from it. And so he gets into verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a, a new moon celebration, or 
a Sabbath. And so Paul rattles off these, these Old Testament practices that were being elevated to, to Christ-like status, things like religious restrictions and, and, and festivals and celebrations. And, and all of these things were meant to point to holiness and meant to point to they have been separated for God and, 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 and that relationship that they had in, in him. And so again, Paul's point is that all of these are shadows that find their substance in Jesus. And so if we turn back into the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 45, verse 17, we read this, it will be the duty of the prince to provide the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and new drink offerings at, here it is, the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbaths, at all appointed festivals of Israel. He will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement for the Israels. That word atonement, it means to cover. And so these sacrifices were not able to remove sin. They were only able to cover the sin. And so they had to be made over and over and over again. It was a shadow that pointed to the substance of Christ whose sacrifice would be made once for all. A shadow that pointed to Jesus. And then we get to the Sabbath. Exodus 31, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. This will be a sign so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Again, notice that the Sabbath did not make them holy. The Lord made them holy. The Sabbath was a sign that they had been set apart by him. And so while everyone else in the world labored and toiled for seven days a week under this heavy burden, the the God who rested on the seventh day says, as part of your identity as my people, I'm inviting you to rest. I'm inviting you to, to put the work down, even though it's incomplete. Put the work down and rest with me. It is a sign of the relationship I have invited you into. So all of these rituals, all of these rites, all of these festivals, they were only signs that were pointing to the substance of Jesus. Circumcision marked your body, but it could not change your heart. These feasts and these these festivals, they, they celebrated God's forgiveness and redemption, but only Jesus can truly bring us forgiveness and redemption. Sabbath was a command to rest in our relationship with God, but only Jesus can provide the rest that our weary souls so desperately long for. Only Jesus can bring us into a right, restful relationship with God through peace. These were all shadows, and shadows aren't bad. They're just incomplete. They tell a beautiful story of love, but it's not the whole thing. They have a form, but they lack the substance. And Paul's question is, why? Why would you go back to the shadows when you've been given the substance of Jesus? Why would you continue to grasp and and go back to the sign when you have been given the real thing? He says, don't let people judge you for holding on to Jesus and letting go of his shadows. And even though we're probably not at risk of Turning back to feasts and festivals and 
you know, sacrifices for the atonement or forgiveness of our sin. I think that we're still really good at elevating shadows of Jesus above the substance of Jesus. Elevating the, the, the signs of our religious bona fides and how we live out our faith over our relationship with him. And we do this in so many different ways. I do this in so many different ways. All of us worship differently. Some of us are more expressive while others are more stoic and reflective. It It is easy to take our style of worship and judge others by it. And so the more expressive worshipers can look at the more stoic ones and be like, do you even worship, bro? And the more stoic and reflective ones are like, yes, we're here to worship, not do morning calisthenics. Just chill, all right? Get your workout done at home. (laughs) We've taken a shadow, the shadow that, that is shining from the light of wanting to worship our king in different ways that we do it, and we've We've given it substance. When we do that, it becomes very easy to judge others by the shadow. We can do it in prayer. (laughs) There's no command uh, or or even instruction in the Bible that when you pray, you are to to bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands. There's no instructions for that. And, and, And yet, have you ever made eye contact with somebody in church during prayer time? It can be awkward, right? It, it, it's like you, you either lock eyes with them and you're like, oh man, I've been busted. Um, okay, I need to, I need to pray. Or, or you lock eyes with them and you're like, my man, we're spiritual rebels together. All right, let's go. <laughs> We've taken a shadow, a shadow of this desire to be humble before God, to focus, you know. These are ways that we can do it, practices that we can do it. We've taken a shadow and maybe we've elevated it to substance. I have to remind myself of this when I'm preaching. You guys would not imagine the conversations that go on in my head while, while I'm, I'm up here. It's, I have to manuscript to actually stay on track sometimes. It's like chasing rabbits. And I, and I have to remind myself that, that some people, we all have different learning styles, right? And so some people learn by leaning in and just engaging, taking notes. And, and some people assure me that they learn by, by closing their eyes and <laughs> mouths agap and they... They promised me it's not sleeping, it's osmosis. And so I just, I have to remind myself that, that learning styles are a shadow. The substance is, we're all pursuing Jesus. <laughs> we can do this with different practices as well. You know, Lent is coming up on Wednesday. And, and you may be of a tradition that, that practices Lent regularly. It's a great time for you to to focus on a sacrifice, to remind you of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so you give up something and, and it's just a way for you and your soul to, to move into the Easter celebration. It's meaningful to you. And some people are like, wait, you practice Lent? I mean, isn't that like, are you, aren't you elevating something up above the gospel? Aren't you turning this practice into more than what it should be? And we can judge each other based on even these spiritual disciplines that we engage in or don't engage in. Communion, we can, communion is a shadow that we continue to participate in, right? Like it points to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that he will come back one day and, and we can take this shadow and we can elevate it. We can become judgmental of others who take it every week like we do or who maybe take it once a quarter or once a month and we can take these shadows and 
put substance to them. We can even do it in the way that we serve Jesus. You might be super passionate about an issue or a project and, and think that everyone else should be as passionate about this as you are. And that's good. Like you, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about something. But it's only a shadow cast by Jesus' heart for others. And when that shadow turns into a substance, it's easy to start to wonder and do other people love Jesus even as much as I do? They don't care about the things of Jesus the way that I do. Anytime you become prideful of something in your life, even if it is a shadow that points to Jesus, anytime you become prideful of something in your life, it's not too long until you become judgmental of others who do not do it exactly the way you do it. And we are so quick to judge others when we turn our shadows in to substance, when we take our convictions and, and we make it a requirement for others. And this is what was going on in, in first century Colossae. And I think it's, it's something that goes on even in my own heart today. And so if these are only shadows, then what is the substance What is it that really matters? And we know it's Jesus. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. All shadows find their substance in Jesus. Paul says it like this in the the pinnacle of our text today, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. I mean, our our, our fleshly nature, we, we continue to sin against God. Continue to rebel against him. But when we were dead in that, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That word charge, it's an interesting word. It's the only time that it's used in in the entire Bible, and it means a handwritten promise to repay a debt. It is a handwritten IOU, which, which of course, is as good as money, sir. Um, yes, what is all? Where's the money? That is as good as money. Those are IOUs. <laughs> but in this context, I think what Paul is pointing to here is that he's saying that all of our sin, it is. It has created a debt with God that we cannot repay. Like our stack of IOUs that we have written with our sin. Not that God has written because of our sin. That's that's not the language that's being used here. The language is that, that in our sin, we are writing these IOUs saying, God, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. We are incurring this debt ourselves, and it is a debt that we cannot repay. Our stack of IOUs that is written with our sin, they stand against us. They condemn us. They are burying us. We are dead because of them. But instead of holding us accountable for what we owe him, God canceled our debt through the cross that Jesus is the only one who never wrote a single IOU to God, and yet he carried all of ours to the cross. He paid the debt of our sin that we could not pay. And when we put our faith in him, Jesus takes all of these IOUs that we are buried under, he rips them apart, and he marks in us with his Holy Spirit, paid in 
full. The beauty of the gospel is that the only one who owed nothing is the very one who paid off all of your IOUs. And man, that is worth praising the Lord, isn't it? Amen. All of them were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And when you put your faith in him, you bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And this is the substance of the gospel that all of the shadows point to. They were all pointing to what we can experience in Christ. Jesus has canceled our guilt so that we don't have to live in the shame of of not being enough or being too much for God. We have been given a new identity in Christ. We have been set apart. We have been adopted into his family In Christ, we have been given peace. Jesus has has disarmed the voices speaking guilt and shame into us. He has stripped them of their power, and he defeated them on the cross. And so now, by the grace of God, we can live in the freedom of Christ, and we can take this good news that we have received, and we can share it with others. We can help them walk in the newness of life, find new identity in him, find peace, find freedom from their guilt and shame, find a community of people who are wrestling through what all of this means together. And so what's the difference between the shadows and the substance, between these false teachers and and, and what the gospel teaches? It comes down to this. The false teachers were saying, do all of these things. Do all of these things. And and you're good. Do all of these practices, all of these rites, all of these rituals, and and you do them just right, then God's going to love you. The gospel says, no, Jesus, Jesus did all of these things. And so you're good. Church, we have the substance. Why in the world would we settle for a shadow? We've been offered freedom and grace in Christ. Why would we try to look for it anywhere else? You have Jesus and he is all that you need. As we close out today, Hunter's going to come up and share with us a little bit about how we can respond to that and and maybe you are ready to receive Jesus and find this grace and have all of those IOUs canceled. That can happen today. We're going to share in a baptism here in just a moment. That can happen in your life as well. So let me pray. God, thank you for your grace, your tenderness, your mercy for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the substance that all of the Old Testament points to. You, you are the fulfillment of all of those things. You are the very one that we desire above anything else. And so, Lord, forgive us in those times when we elevate anything or anyone above you. And and we use that to cast judgment on ourselves or even others. Lord, teach us, teach us to live in the freedom of your grace, to find the liberty, not the license to continue to sin, but the liberty to just hold on to you and follow you and, and experience the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing you. And Lord, as we experience that, may we, may we take the good that we have received from you and share it with others so that they may come to know, love, and follow Jesus too. In his name.
Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.